Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Well, good morning, y'all. Um, I'm so, so glad to see you guys. How are you doing? A little tired, a little wet from coming in the rain. Um, well, we're going to start this morning off um, reading some scripture together. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word, we'll be in Colossians 3 and 4, starting verse 18. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's a gift, and God, it gives us instructions and directions for life. But God, above all, it's a story of you, and God, it helps us understand you and through that, understand ourselves. And so God, we come to you, we ask that you would speak to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Um, so we have biblical gender distinctives, parenting and slavery all in one passage. Who wants to be me right now? <laughs> um, you know, a couple of years ago, Callie and I, some of y'all know this, some of you don't, uh, we lived in Hong Kong. We, we were missionaries for a bit a decade ago this month, uh, which is crazy. Um, and when we first got there, it was typhoon season. And uh, that's like hurricane season, but it rotates the other way. I didn't know that until we lived over there. Um, and we woke up in the morning, our first day there, and they said it was like a level five typhoon, but there was no bad weather. And so we're like, we're hungry and we're Americans. We need some bacon and eggs. And again, we're in Hong Kong, all right? And so like I pull up Google and I find this British breakfast place or whatever. And so we go out and literally no one is on the streets. If you've ever seen you know, Hong Kong, it's like people are just packed, like wall to wall, chest to chest. You have no personal space. There's nobody on the streets. We're like, this is fantastic. Uh, and so we go out and uh, we, we get to the main part of the city and I'm kind of following the Google Maps, and everything wasn't working quite properly, so I was having to use it as like an actual map, you know? Uh, not like where it tells you exactly where to go. And so like we go up, and I'm following the map, and we go up the road, and, and what we didn't know and didn't really understand is that Hong Kong is like a mountainous, hilly country, all right, city. And so we didn't understand, like we were about to be like walking up hills, all right? And so we go in and we take a turn and we're heading towards the restaurant and we hit like literally a brick wall, all right? The road just dead ends, that was not on the map. And so we go around the other way, we hit a brick wall again, we go around, we keep going up, 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 hit another wall, okay? There is literally no way to get one street over from where we have to go. So we have to turn around, we go up the way, we hike up another hill, we finally get there, we're drenched in sweat. At this point, the rain has started, we're soaking wet, and we sit down to a delicious breakfast, all right? Uh, now, he here's what we learned. Later that week, uh, we went down to that part of the city with people who lived there, and we found that the, the mid-levels, which is what this area was called, has an escalator that you can get on, and it's the world's longest escal escalator, and it literally carries you up the hill, and you can just get off at what other, whatever stops you need to get off at. Y'all, here's the truth about life, is we're going through life on the globe, on the map, and if we want to do it well, we need to reference, we need relationship with the map maker. We need the one who designed the streets, who designed the alleys, who knows the ways. And what we're looking at today is something that the maker teaches us and shows us, hey, if you function in this way, you're gonna find freedom and you're gonna find flourishing. 
Our, our belief is that God has a design and a vision for our lives. And as Christians, we are learning to progressively, everyone say progressively, live into that design. We are learning to live in the world as God intended. And we find that as we do, things will begin to click in place. Now, as a reminder, uh, we're going through Colossians and we're, we're looking at an orthodox vision for life. Uh, life as God teaches us to live. And, and Paul is saying in this passage, if you've been tracking with us through these past few weeks, that as we develop a secure identity in the love of Christ, it changes everything about the way that we live. It changes what we hope for. It changes what encourages us. It changes where we find security. And as we've been talking about, it actually transforms our identities. Now, if anybody could yell this out, you would get like a thousand gold stars. But how do we develop a secure identity? Does anybody remember from last week? Okay. Our identities flow from our vision of moral goodness, right? So whatever we believe is good, that, that's where we'll find security. So if we're living into what we view as moral goodness, we'll feel secure as persons, right? But if we're violating what we believe about moral goodness, we'll feel insecure as persons. Does that make sense? Okay, now what does this have to do with the relationship with Jesus? Jesus gives us security not based on what we do, but what he's done. Amen? So our identity, our security is received, it's not achieved. Are you with me? Uh, so what conversion to faith and following Jesus is all about is bringing ourselves into alignment with this. Laman Sanath, uh, who had a lecture, uh, or actually a book on whose religion is Christianity, he said this, he said, conversion is the turning of ourselves to God, and that means all of ourselves without leaving anything behind or outside. Conversion is refocusing of the mental life, and it's cultural and social underpinnings and ever feelings, affections, and instincts in the light of what God has done in Jesus. Okay, so here's what we're going to dig into. I've got a thesis for you, all right, and recommended reading. Don't worry, I didn't forget all that. Uh, thesis is this, is that God has a distinct vision for the order of the Christian household, and that is both helpful and applicable for all people at all times. Amen? Okay, so something we have, to, we have to understand here as we dig into this, and this, this probably needs to be three hours worth of teaching that I'm about to pack into about 45 minutes, okay? Can you buckle up with me for about 45 minutes? Okay. Um, first, let, let's just start with the Bible. The Bible is not a seasonal book, all right? It's never had a season. Think about it. Like, Twilight had a season. It's over, all right? It's done. Goosebumps, you remember that? Had a season, all right? Season's over. Harry Potter is eternal. <laughs> um, <laughs> too far. Okay. The, the Bible is the best-selling book in history for a reason. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, you can say many things about the Bible, but you cannot simply write it off as another piece of literature. Its truths are timeless and are always relevant to our lives. No other text, religious or otherwise, claims to carry the same power or influence. Why? Because the Bible didn't spring out of the imagination of men, but by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. This is God's instructions for life. Okay, our passages today are some of the most debated passages in all of Scripture. I know brilliant people who interpret different, different parts of these passages different ways, and we're unlikely to clear up all of that debate here in the next 40 minutes or so, Okay. Um, it's likely that this is going to bring up more questions for you and more searching for you, and I would say that that is a good thing. Um, but first, let's, let's address the elephant in the room. There is no question these verses have been used to reinforce cultural oppression and to con continue both abuses and human rights atrocities. Men have used these verses to exert dominance and fear in a household, and specifically over their wives and children. These men did not display the loving leadership of Christ, but they displayed a culture of oppression and of pride. Some of you came up underneath this type of leadership. For some of you, maybe these scriptures were weaponized against you uh, to keep you in your place uh, and to hurt you. Some of these verses were also used to justify horrifying human rights experience across the globe through slavery, uh, across the planet, as well as in our own backyard. Um, and, and here's what I want to say. Whether you struggle with these abuses, you've been under these abuses, he, here's what we have to understand. Uh, 
these abuses and the reason it hurts so bad is not just because of what it's done to you. That's, that's part of it. But the other part that we have to understand is it's an actual abuse of the scripture. People are taking these scriptures and they're weaponizing them uh, to do the opposite of what God intended. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look and we're going to seek to discover and rediscover God's grace in these areas. And that's exactly what I believe we'll, we'll find. Amen. Okay, context. It's important to remember, uh, Paul is not speaking into a vacuum, but he's speaking into a distinct, distinct culture. So he's teaching them how to make shifts in their lives, in their present circumstances, in the light and the love of Jesus. Let's look and see what Paul instructs. Number one, this is going to be like 90% of the sermon, okay? It's going to be in point one. God's vision for marriage. Colossians 3, 18 through 19. It says, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Okay, I've said this the last three weeks. This whole chapter, Paul is just throwing haymaker after haymaker after haymaker in the way that we understand the world, right? Now, here's something that we've got to look at. I don't think this one is aimed where we think it is, okay? There's certain things that we hear as modern, uh, modern uh, hearers in our modern context. This is challenging to us in like context of every Beyonce song that's ever been written, right? <laughs> All my women independent. What? There you are. It's like, submit? Excuse me? Right? With modern eyes, it looks like the man has it easy, right? Because what is marriage? It's romance. It's love. But women have to submit? It's like, nah, you can keep that. <laughs> but to the people of Colossae who first heard this, they would have had the polar opposite response with equal strength. The shocking demand was not on women, but was on men. In the first century, you have to understand, women were not a romantic partner, but were mostly property of their husbands. They, operate, they operated as Romans under something called paterfamilias, which is the sole power of the husband uh, over his entire household. This is the wife, the children, the servants of the household. Um, there was something called patria potestas, which is the right of the father to sell, punish, or even kill any member of his household that he desired to. He was expected to uphold Roman values, and he ruled his household with absolute authority. These rights were so extreme that the father had the right to leave a child out to exposure if he decided he did not want to keep the child. He'd leave them to die in the elements. If a husband was displeased with his wife, he could easily and simply send her away, or if he had enough reason, he could have her put to death legally. And this is just the Romans. In Jewish culture, they would pray every day, thank God that I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Women in this society had the same standing as slaves. They had virtually no rights unless they were legally emancipated. And even then, they had to have a male guardian. And still, their rights were very limited. So when we read this under that cultural lens, we have to understand for the women hearing this, they hear, submit to your husbands. They're like, yeah, duh, what else is new, right? Here's what else is new. It says, husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with your wives. If you go and you look at the parallel passage in Ephesians, it says, lay down your life for your wife as Christ has loved the church. This is an incredible challenge for men. And men, buckle up, because we're going to get into that challenge here in a moment. Anyone who carries the burden of leadership recognizes every choice they make carries weight. So what can we learn from this? Listen, if we read the Bible through a cultural lens, someone is always going to be offended. But here's the issue with reading the Bible culturally and through our lens. It shifts and it changes over time, right? We must read the Bible through the lens of our relationship with Christ as master, Lord, rabbi and teacher who's showing us the way to life. And so what we have to do is we have to, sub, we have to suspend our opinions. And we have to ask the question, God, what are you teaching me about design and human flourishing? Okay, y'all still with me? Okay, what is Paul not saying? Paul's not describing gender stereotypes. 
rigid, culturally formed gender roles have almost no biblical merit, right? Uh, what we often think about, like what men should do and what women should do, is actually a product of post-industrialization more than it is a product of a biblical narrative and lens. Paul actually doesn't give us, give us tons of instruction about like women should do this, men should do this. He leaves these things pretty open. Why? Because this is a book that's supposed to stay with us through the ages, okay? So if you think about it, in a pre-industrial age, the household, it wasn't like the man went to work at a corporate office and he made enough money so the wife could stay home and she could take care of the kids and do all the dishes and change all the diapers and do all that stuff and the husband comes home and just wants to have fun with the kids or whatever. You know, that whole lens and narrative, what it would have been is it would have been more like a business, right? That's why people had 30 kids back in the day. <laughs> Those were employees, okay? Those were workers. There was work to do. But what's happened is it's changed. As we've industrialized, as we've moved into cities and all this kind of stuff, the households have gotten smaller because children are no, no, no longer workers, but they're our deepest objects of affection, right? Um, and so it's shifted. And so what we have to understand is the idea that women don't work is a fairly new idea that's post-industrial. Um, and so that's not at all what Paul is telling us here. What Paul is describing is intended design. That's what we're going to dig into. This whole section, right, of Scripture is about identity. If we're loved in Christ, holy, complete, and secure in his love, that nothing can separate us from his love, if all of this is true, we are safe to discover at the most basic level how God has designed us to function. And here's what I believe. God has made us men and women equal and at the same time distinct in the way that we function individually and together. And this, I believe, is a necessity. Okay, uh, recommended reading. We skipped it from earlier. I know you've been waiting on the edge of your seats. Kathy Keller and Tim Keller have a book called The Meaning of Marriage. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm going to pull a lot from chapter six of that book that Kathy wrote. Uh, here's a quote from this. It says, at the same time, Genesis, now this is going back to uh, when you interpret, let's just put a pin for a second. When, when you want to interpret the Bible, whenever you're trying to understand a topic, you want to go back to first origins, the first time this topic was talked about. But then also what you want to do is you want to use clear passages in, in the scripture to interpret unclear passages in the scripture. Are you tracking with me on that? So a lot of times what we do is if we have an opinion or we have a cultural bias or whatever, um, we'll try to like isolate certain things in the text to make different arguments. What we have to do is take places where God was crystal clear and pour the rest of the scripture through that. All right? So this is what Kathy's doing. She's going back to Genesis. It says, at the same time, Genesis shows us that men and women were created absolute, with absolute equality. Both are equally made in the image of God, equally blessed, and equally given dominion over the earth. This means that men and women together in full participation must carry out God's mandate to build civilization and culture. Both men and women are called to do science and art, to build families and human communities. Immediately after making us male and female, God tells us to be fruitful and fill the earth. Here God gives the human race the mandate to procreate, which is a reflection of his own boundless life-giving creativity. But obviously this wonderful gift of creating new human life is something we can only carry out together. Neither sex has all the characteristics necessary. Only in complementary union can we do it. These verses suggest strongly that the sexes, while equal in dignity and worth, are complementary. We're equal in dignity and purpose, but distinct in how we carry out that purpose. Now, I promise y'all, you do not want to be a part of a church where Bronson leads without Callie Duke. I'm telling you. The staff is laughing because they know it's true. I'll get on these like extreme tirades of like, we need to take the hill. We need to do this. We need to plant more churches or do whatever. And Callie will like grab my leg or just say, are we ready for that? Is now, is now the time? You know, she, she's wise. She's insightful. Um, she brings not only perspective, but actual attributes of God to the table that I don't have. Remember, God made male and female in his, in his image. What does that tell us? God is not male or female. He's God, right? So when we come together, we actually form a more complete picture of who he is. Now, I want to take a moment here, and I want to make sure I hit something. Some of you guys, you're single, and you hate it, all right? 
there's some things in here that I think will help you. Uh, you can put them in your quiver, but also in your relationships with other men and women uh, because we're made to sharpen each other. Some of you are single and God's called you to it. Uh, the scripture actually creates space for that. And what we find that the scripture teaches us is that we find wholeness in the person of Christ, right? And our relationships with other members of the opposite sex can do some of this in us and bring some of this about in us, okay? Uh, I, I listened to one of John Tyson's lectures, which if you're curious on like this huge overarching topic, he has like 10 or 15 hours of teaching and all this kind of stuff. It's called Controversial Jesus. He preached it like maybe in 2017 or 2018. It's all on YouTube. Go check it out. Have a blast, okay? Uh, he, here's something that I pulled out of it I thought was so helpful. Talking about equal but distinct. Okay, if you've got 10 men in a room and they're all sitting around a table, it doesn't matter what sort of man they are, okay, good men, bad men, whatever, and they're just sitting around the table shooting the breeze and a woman walks in, the nature of the conversation changes. The nature of the room changes. And, and two things will happen, he says. One, the worst of the male gender will be restrained. And two, the men are laughing because they know, the best of the male gender will be released. Yo, men, we've all been at tables, right? And if you think about it, this is absolutely true. But here, here's what I've learned. Restraint is rarely a bad thing, okay? At the same time, if you have 10 women sitting in a room shooting the breeze and a man walked in, the na nature of the room would change. Ladies, think about it, right? The worst of the female gender would be restrained and the best of the female gender would be released. I've not sat at these tables, but I bet if you think about it, you'd find it's true. This is what occurred to me. Restraint is really bad, and it most often brings about good things. Relationship with someone who's other. Now, there's like this whole theory of otherness. Have you all heard of that before? So basically, um, if you look at cultures, a lot of times people would say the reason that we oppress other tribes who are different from us is because otherness scares us and it creates instability, and it creates fear, so we put those people down. You can see the exact same thing happen in relationships. Men and women are different. They're distinct, and they're other, right? We have different motivators. We have different fears. There are certain things, when you boil it down, that are just different. Uh, one of my pastors always says, opposites attract, and then they attack, right? Um, but actually, God's designed us unique to sanctify us. Marriage, married people in the room, can be one of the most sanctifying parts of your life. You know, there's so much in me that needed to be restrained when Cal and I met. I was a wild animal. I'm telling you, I'm not kidding. I was a wild man, all right? Um, I, I was aggressive, uh, you know, I, I had all this vision, all these different things, very little refinement, and she let me know quickly that there were certain behaviors that she was not going to accept from me, and I loved it. Yo, men, find you a woman who's like, no, I'm not going to accept that. I expect better from you. You're better than that. And I was like, okay. She taught me and required from me so much restraint and in that, so much good in me was released. I was passionate and ambitious before Callie. That was not new. But because of her, I became more thoughtful and more patient, which actually brought security to my leadership and safety for those who follow me. You know, if I didn't have Callie, I'm telling you, we would have launched three churches by now, and we'd be in shambles. I'm telling you. Okay, practical. How do these opposites show up in your relationships? Now, you may be sitting there thinking like, for some of you right now, this is super tense, and it's not just the subject matter, it's because you're struggling in your marriage. You might be asking the question like, we can barely be in the same room together, if we're honest. We fought in the car right before we came in here, and we were poking each other on the sidewalk on the way in. How can this be helpful, y'all? This is a vision of what can be when you have a marriage that's built on Christ, where the man lovingly leads and the wife brings herself underneath that leadership. Y'all, marriage is to be like two pieces of a puzzle coming together to make a whole. Okay, Let, let's dig in, let's get really practical. Men, at a basic level, you may have heard this before, need respect and men, women need 
love, okay? You can trade almost every fight between every couple for all of time to those two issues, a man feeling disrespected and a woman not feeling loved. Uh, where, where are my men who like a challenge? Yes. You know, there's an incredible challenge in this text. Men, here, here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Here's what I want you to ask. First, not whether your wife should submit. That's actually largely irrelevant to you. I want you to ask yourself the question, are you a man worth following? Are you living your life in such a way that she looks at you and says, I want to come under the grace of that leadership? Are you a tyrant leading your household with an iron fist? Or are you a loving leader after the example of Christ laying your life down for your wife? Or on the other side, are you a passive leader not engaging in the complexities of life and letting your wife carry all the weight of your household. You know, I think this passage presses on something in men that we have a tendency, if left unchecked, we seek our own good and our own pleasure, and we leave with pride and ego. And, and here's what God is graciously inviting us to do, to lay all of that down and to look at Christ. You know, he had all the power of the universe but he laid it down and he washed feet. This is one of the most challenging texts in the entire Bible for me. This is not natural for me, my wife will tell you. I'm selfish, I wanna do what I wanna do. And what I've had to do is I've gone through this week is, is look in the mirror, but then also look at friends. You know, I, I can look around the room. You know, I think about Marius and Jess. I watch Marius all the time lay down his desires to serve his wife and love his wife. Austin and Beverly in the back. Yeah, you know, I've watched Austin over and over and over again. Love Beverly, create safety for her, to go the extra mile, to do the things that he needs to do. And y'all, just like Dante talked about earlier, men, if you struggle in this, you need to get in relationship with other men who are gonna teach you and model for you. And y'all, we together will grow more and more into this image. I, I wanna give you a chart here. Um, this, this might be helpful. Um, men, when you have no responsibilities, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> when responsibility is low, rights are high, right? But when you carry weight, when you have heavy responsibility on your back, your rights actually decrease and they go down. And, and here's what I wanna to submit to you married men. I'm talking to you specifically. We've gotta be willing to lay down our rights and to sacrificially love the wives that God's given us as Christ loved and laid his life down for the church. Yo, I think every man in here, I think all of us, somebody's got a gun and you're standing there with your wife, you're stepping in the way, right? But here's the question. Not would you die for her, but would you live for her? Would you live for her by dying to yourself? The wife is called to submit. We're gonna talk about that here in a moment. But the husband is called to die, to die to himself and to live to serve his wife. Your leadership is all about putting the other first, being the first to initiate, the first to sacrifice, the first to serve, the first to have self-control, the first to pray, the first to bring God into the situation, the first to encourage, hey, let's bring the family to church, amen? amen. Don't make your wife drag you to church. Don't make your wife drag you to small group. Be a leader, be a man. Be the first to say I'm sorry. Be the first to work hard. Be the first to discipline the kids. Don't make your wife do all that stuff on her own. God made you as a leader in the home, not to make all the decisions, but to lay down your life and to serve. Y'all, I can count on one hand, two fingers, the amount of time in my relationship with Callie where I've had to pull the like, hey, I really think we need to do this. And it's almost always been about work. It, it's almost never been within the household. Men, are you seeking the good of your wife? Are you lovingly laying down your life to serve her like Christ served the church? Okay, wives, here's how I wanna frame this for you. And we're gonna get into the Greek, we're gonna get into the Hebrew, and then we've still gotta talk about children and work, so I need to get going. Um, 
here's a really good question if you're submitting well to your husband. Are you supporting him? Like, does he have your support? Like, does he know when he can't count on anything else, he can count on you? Are you speaking life into him? Are you encouraging him? Y'all, men, we're naturally initiators, right? And, And there's insecurity, there's weight that comes with that initiation. Does your husband have your support? Does he have your back? Or does he just have criticism and, and nags about the things that, that aren't getting done? Listen, we have to have both positive inputs if we're going to have negative inputs, all right? If your negative inputs get so high, people aren't going to ever, they're probably not going to do that stuff, right? Especially, guys, we are so stubborn. I remember when Cal and I were dating, she really wanted to go to this Bible study, and she brought it up to me too much. I didn't want to go to the Bible study, not because I didn't want to go, but because I didn't want to do what she wanted me to do. Now, was I right? No, right? I should have gone. But because she was pushing on me about it all the time, I just stiffened. Listen, you got to understand that about men. We're idiots, all right? We are stubborn. (laughs) You know, we're not. You know, maybe it's too far, but we are. Like, we just just get stubborn. We, We need support. We need encouragement. And you got to remember, men carry weight everywhere they go. A a lot of you guys, every room you go into, you're the boss, you're the leader. When you come home, you're the leader of the kids. When you put the kids down to the bed, now you're sitting there and you're supposed to lead your wife. Men feel that weight. Women, remember, whether you recognize or not, men feel that weight. Let's talk about what submission is not. Submission is not agreement. Submission is not passivity. Submission is not inferiority. Submission is not living in fear, and it's certainly not going against God's will. Okay, now this, this word for submit is hypotasso, okay, in the Greek. Now, I, I did a word study on this. It's used 31 times in the New Testament. It's used five times to talk about the relationships between man and wife in four different books uh, it's brought up. And so it's really clear, like this, th- this is clear. This is not unclear. It's so clear when God's giving us direction in the home. But the question we have to ask is, what does this mean? Now, this word uh, was a Greek military term. It was used, uh, it means to arrange troop divisions in a military uh, fashion under the command of a leader. But in non-military use, here's what I want you to see. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and helping carry a burden. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. And all the men said, Amen. I'll make a helper for him. Now this, this English word helper is not the best translation of the Hebrew Azar here. Uh, helper connotates to us merely assisting someone who could probably do the task on their own, Right? It's like, oh, thanks for being my helper. You know, I could have gotten it done, but it was a little easier because you were here. That's how we, that's how we read that. But at other times, uh, or sorry, sorry, excuse me, it's almost always used in the Bible. Look at this, to describe God. Isn't that wild? We look at this and we see helper and it's like, oh, it's my helpmate, you know. This is a term that's almost always used to describe God himself. Other times it's used to describe military help, such as reinforcements, without which the battle would be lost. Women, you hold an incredibly essential role within the home. To help someone then is to make up for what's lacking in their strength. A woman is made to be a strong helper, to help you do things you could not do otherwise. Um, the way this plays out in Callie and I's relationship is Callie is incredible uh, at giving me support. Um, I jumped to the top of my document. This never happened before. And bam. She has an incredibly strong personality. Any men, your wife has a strong personality? I already know. God's wired Callie that way. Listen, she's a leader. People love to follow her. I actually think people like to follow Callie more than me. Uh, She's competent, she's articulate, she's creative, but she's so good at supporting me. I never feel like I just have to lay down the hammer, right? I never feel like I have to be like, I'm the man, you've gotta do what I say, because I'm the man, why? She challenges me, she expresses herself, 
but she supports me. One of the stories I want to tell you, I'll never forget this, wives, this is for you. Husbands, you can listen, but wives, this is for you. This is brilliant. So we're trying to decide if we're going to move to Hong Kong, all right? I didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do. We're praying through it. And we're going around and around. And at some point, Callie said, you know what? I, I believe that God's called you to lead our home. And I'm going to trust you with this decision. I can't describe to you the weight and how much I wanted to know what she thought at that point. She's like, all right, big boy. Like, you're the leader. You can make the decision. I'm telling you guys, if you'll do that, if, if there's times where it's like, hey, we've got to make a huge decision. If you get to that point where you, you just don't know, I'm telling you, if you'll encourage him to take leadership, I promise you he'll bring you along in the process. He's not going to leave you in the dust. Amen? Your husband needs your support. Okay, so what do you do if your spouse is not holding up their end of the bargain? Um, for some of you guys, you're in here and your spouse isn't here. For some of you sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, we are going to have it out on the way home. I've got my, my, you know, my ammo built up or whatever. One of the pillars is of wise counseling is the statement, the only person whom you have control over is yourself. Yo, this is not easy, but it's true. And what I want to encourage you with is your obedience is not dependent on theirs. I could tell you story after story after story of, of women who've made the decision to love and support her husband, even though he's not functioning the way that he's supposed to be in serving her and loving her and protecting her. And more often than not, I've actually seen the man change as a result of that. Y'all, I could tell you story after story after story of a man sacrificially loving his wife and laying down his life and serving her, whether she was holding up her end of the bargain or not. I'm telling you guys, when it, when it comes to obedience, and we're going to talk about this more here in a second, um, it's so important that we understand that obedience is not dictated by circumstances, but it's dictated by our relationship with Christ. If he is our Lord, we come under his lordship, and we do the things that he's asking us to do. Yo, I've efforted so hard. I hope you see it. My goal in this message was not to say because God said so. My goal in this message was to go through and really look at the anthropology and really try to understand why did God design it this way. God has created us both equal but distinct. Keller goes on. She says, in the dance of the Trinity... This is the relationship with God within himself. The greatest is the one who's the most self-effacing, most sacrificial, most devoted to the good of the other. Jesus redefined, or more truly defined properly, headship and authority, thus taking away the toxicity of it, at least for those who live by his definition rather than the world's understanding. The master has just made himself into a servant who washed his disciples' feet. This thus demonstrating the most dramatic way that the authority and the leadership mean that you become the servant and die to yourself in order to love the other. What Jesus paints is a picture of Jesus. Sorry, what Jesus is calling us to paint is a picture of himself to our children and to our world. Okay, we're gonna head towards the close. I got two more things. So number one, it's God's vision for marriage. Number two, God's vision for parents and children. Colossians 3, 20 through 21, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, now this is what we're really going to zero in on. Do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. Now, when it comes to kids, uh, we have to remember that this is the first thing God told humans to do. Genesis 1, 28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it, a.k.a. go make babies. All right, it's one of the greatest verses in all of scripture. Kids, listen, kids are not a problem. Kids are a blessing. Kids are not a season to get through, but there's someone God has entrusted you with to shape and to form y'all. So often when I am harsh with my kids, it's because they're getting in the way of something I want. And usually, to be honest, it's to be left alone. <laughs> I just want to be left alone. I want to play my internet chess, you know, or whatever it is that I want to do. And my kids are bothering me, and I'm like, go away, you know, or whatever. So often, 
Okay, how do we rise above frustration? Frustration is a reality of parenting, especially when your kids are young. And I've heard when they get older, it doesn't get much better. Amen? From, okay. Uh, the greatest way to rise above frustration is to have vision. Do you have vision? Listen, for you who don't have kids yet, start thinking about this early. Somebody made fun of me one time. I was like doing parenting classes and they're like, you don't have kids, but I'm like, I'm going to one day. I gotta get prepared, you know? The greatest way to rise above frustration is to have vision. Listen, God has entrusted you parents with warriors in training. The scripture, when it talks about kids, it says that they're arrows in a quiver ready to be launched into the world. That is a weapon, amen? So you're not just getting them through this phase so you can get back to what you wanna do. You're preparing them to make an impact in the world. And if we recognize this as young parents, we'll reap the benefits of what we truly want when we age, which is legacy. The older you get, the more you start thinking about what you leave behind. And the number one thing we leave behind is the legacy that we have in our kids. And so here's what I wanna encourage you with. People with young kids, it's frustrating and it's difficult. Don't give up, keep going have vision. Decide what you're trying to develop in your kids. Look for strong characteristics in your kids and call them out, right? George is Georgia the Curious, all right? She gets into everything. It drives me nuts, but I'm going to keep encouraging it because she's going to explore and she's going to learn. Roman is Roman the Determined, all right? This cat can go from happy to fury faster than anything I've ever seen, all right? The boy's all bees at. true. <laughs> Judah, he's just like a wise little Buddha, all right? He's just like watching and seeing how things play out. I, I'm not typing them. They don't have to be that, but I'm looking. I'm reading my kids. I'm trying to understand what's in them so I can call the greatness that God's put in them out. Amen? Callie said this this week, and I want to give this to you parents specifically with young kids. It says, every time I hear a child cry, I wanna hear it as the ringing bell of God inviting me deep into the sanctifying fire that is making me who he's called me to be. The most, the two places that will sanctify you the most in your life, it's your relationship with your wife, and the relationship with your kids. What she pulled this from is there's this book that talks about monks and they would have a work bell when it was time to go to work. And what those monks would start to do is every time they would hear that bell ring, instead of thinking, oh, I've got to go to work, they would say, oh, God's working on me. God's making me more and more who he's called to me. So I'm gonna say it one more time. Every time you hear your child cry, I want you to hear it as the ringing bell of God inviting you deep into the sanctifying fire that's making you who he's called you to be. Listen, some of you parents are older and your kids are in rebellion right now and it is crushing you and it is breaking your heart. Do not give up. One of the things my mom has told me, and I know it's true now because I got kids, I'll never quit being her baby boy. I don't fully get it, but I know one day I will. For some of you, you're looking at kids, you're praying for kids. Don't give up, keep praying, amen? Okay. Um, do you wanna talk discipline? Kids discipline? Okay. Um, Paul's saying in essence, in like one sentence, what thousands of books on the upbringing of children struggle to express, that children need discipline, um, but they don't need to be crushed by the discipline. They need to know the boundaries. You'll, listen, your job is to help your kids flourish in the world, and one of the ways you do that is by teaching them certain things are annoying and unacceptable. And if you don't teach them those things are annoying and unacceptable, the world will teach them, and they'll do it way harsher than you will, okay? So we have to be willing to discipline. We have to have boundaries and standards, and we have to teach our kids how to do it. This is not the place to let out your frustration. In fact, it's the opposite. One of Callie and I's rules is we, we do everything we can do not to punish while we're frustrated. Um, th this is difficult with timeouts because that's often where you're like at the end of your rope, but with spanking, um, and I know there's so many opinions on that, you'll know I don't have time to do all that. But for us, uh, we do believe um, in, in spanking. And for us, one of our commitments though in that is we're not gonna do it in anger, okay? Uh, last one, work. So marriage, children, and work. Colossians 3, 22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for who? 
not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrong, and there is no favoritism. Um, okay, again, we have to understand Paul is speaking into a cultural vacuum, all right? He's speaking into certain situations. And Paul, in this scenario, he's, I, I don't believe, it's, as you look through the narrative of the scripture, the Bible doesn't say slavery is good. The Bible was saying slavery was a reality. And what people who were under that reality had to do is to figure out how to redeem the reality they were in. Now, if we go and you study slavery, uh, the abolitionists, which, which really kicked off in London and uh, in, in England, that was led by Christians, and the church eventually brought that, and I think that's an incredible thing. But what I want us to focus on right now is not the slavery aspect of it, but what it means for us today. Amen? All of us have work we're called to do. All of us have masters we serve under, and the reality is a lot of our bosses are not gonna be good bosses. I've had a few. I've had a few good bosses. I've had a lot of bad bosses. And so what is this teaching us? This is teaching us that we can redeem our station with obedience and hard work. What he's saying in this term is even though you're a slave, you can live free. You can serve freely. Listen, no master can force a slave to serve with gladness, right? Your bosses at work cannot, they, you gotta do your work, but you don't have to be happy about it, right? What this is saying is that we can live with joy and we can live with purpose and we can serve. And in the end, just like marriage, just like the way we raise our kids, the work we do is a picture to the world of the God we serve. Okay, so I'm gonna go through this. I'm gonna ask you three questions, and this is actually the close of our study of the book of Colossians. Um, next week, we're gonna be jumping into Jonah, and the reason I decided to close it here is because the end of Colossians takes us so perfectly into this book. And so we're gonna take four weeks after this, we're gonna study through the book of Jonah. Um, what I want you to do is just take a moment. Let's take a moment and reflect and just ask God what he might be speaking to us. Amen? So you close your eyes all across the room. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Come Holy Spirit. go through each one of these things, and I just want you to ask God to search your heart and to speak with you and show you one area that you can grow as we go through this, okay? So husbands, men, when it comes to being servant leaders, how are you really doing? Are you laying down your life? Are you being willing to serve? And is there anything specific as we went through this, the Holy Spirit convicted you on. And here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If there was something specific, I just want you to begin to say yes to God in your heart and then to work that out. You might need to go to your wife and to call it out. I promise you she already knows. But to take it to her and say, hey, this is an area that God's convicting me. Wives, in the area of support, loving support, of your husband? Is there anywhere where your husband wouldn't feel supported by you? He might feel more criticized than helped. Just as we were going through the message, was there anything that the Holy Spirit convicted you on? I wanna encourage you to just take a moment and give God your yes, and potentially go and talk to your husband parents. If you're a parent in the room, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. You got older kids, younger kids. I just want to pray over you. If you'll hold your hands out right in front of you, it's just a posture of receiving. We're going to pray together. God, I pray that you give us vision. Give us vision for our households. God, in areas where we have deep, deep, deep frustration and we're at the end of our ropes. God, help us to see those things 
as your sanctifying fire. God, we're committed to being who you've called us to be. But God, right now we pray for our children. God, we pray that you'll bless them. God, that your hand will be upon them. God, give us vision to see the good deposits that you've put in them and to call those things out. God, we pray right now for any child who's running from you. God, you see them, you know their name. God, we pray that they would come back to you in Jesus' name. And lastly, work. If you're under a boss right now who's just frustrating you to death, maybe a boss you do not respect, I just want to encourage you to take a moment to bring that into your mind and just submit that to Christ. God, help us be people who work as unto the Lord, not to men. God, help us be people who, just like Joseph, who was a slave in Potiphar's house, God brought prosperity. God, help us bless the people we work for, and God, let it be an image of who you are. I wanna close with reading from the end of Colossians. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message, that's the gospel, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, and be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, we're, we're gonna end with communion again this week. Um, we're gonna take communion together each week f- for the month of August. And so if you could, if you're able, if you'll stand to your feet. Um, what I wanna encourage you to do is those convictions, those things that God's starting to speak to you on. This is a time just to bring those to God and say, God, I trust in your sacrifice to cover me in these areas, and to cover my sin, amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, If you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.